Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Well, we made it to Texas and back. Mission accomplished. New grandson held. Military son hugged. Some Texas barbecue eaten. And a Jeep delivered. In addition, we got to worship last Sunday with our new home mission congregation in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Andrew is able to regularly attend there now, and uh, it's a blessing to be a part of that fellowship. Um, there's our family after the service, as we were all able to be there. And then uh, we also got to stay at the Fievig residence in Fredericksburg uh, area a um, couple nights, and um, they send your, their greetings uh, to you as well. And uh, they also got to give us a little tour of the area, including a uh, highlight, uh, you know, going to Lukenbach, Texas. Some of you know that song, Willie Nelson made famous. Well, there is the place. <clears throat> I want to say thanks to all of you who got wished us well and prayed for us as we put on over uh, 3,000 miles. It was really good to get away and to spend that time with family and be down there with them, and, and uh, thanks also to you who uh, helped out in various ways here in the last week, especially with the funeral for uh, Pastor Paul Nash uh, while I was gone. It, it sounds strange to say maybe, but this congregation does funerals well. Uh, I just have watched time after time that how you uh, serve behind the scenes and show love and support to family, and the Nash family sure was appreciative of, of how you served them that day, so thank you. As we focus on the theme for the message from God's Word this week, I want to ask you this question. See, my PowerPoint went dead. I can ask you without it. Are you in the right group? <clears throat> and more specifically, how do you know if you're in the right group? Um, life is full of being put into different groups and having to often choose which group to be in. Uh, it comes up all the time. For instance, if you go to Walmart, uh, or the grocery store, you have to choose which line to be in sometimes, and uh, I usually choose the wrong one. It ends up being the one that's hardly moving for some reason. Um, driving the freeways of, of Dallas and San Antonio, there was this constant need for us to choose uh, which lane we should be in as we tried to navigate the traffic with two vehicles. And it didn't help that sometimes the ladies' voices on the GPS uh, didn't agree with each other. And um, if you've ever driven Dallas or, or um, San Antonio, there are these spaghetti junctions about three levels high going every which direction, and it's, it's a challenge to keep up with. Um, life in our United States 
in the last couple years seems to be continually dividing into groups politically on one side or the other of various issues and, and then we have this challenge of sorting out what do we believe and, and regarding those issues and then what group does that put us in and so on. And beyond those issues there are the questions of what we should believe in the religious realm. Uh, how do we know if we're following the right religion? And, and by the way that's a very subject of our adult Sunday school class uh, these days here, uh, evidence that demands a verdict. And today they focus on the question of, did Jesus actually rise from the dead? How do we know? Well, as the Apostle Paul writes to a congregation of believers in Jesus Christ at Philippi, he warns them about a group of people that are misled. And he reminds them of how they can know if they are in the right group and are following the truth. And I invite you to look with me at Colossians chapter 3 today. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. And please stand in reverence to God's word if you're able. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is, is no trouble to me and is, is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoer. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason to have confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that, comes on, that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word through the Apostle Paul to the folks at Philippi and, and to us. And Lord, thank you for the perspective that it gives us of, of what this life and, and eternity is all about. And uh, we pray that you would guide as we dig into this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Rejoice in the Lord. This definitely seems to be a theme in this letter to, um, of, of Philippians. Um, I have recounted and I keep adding as I see some more. Um, I'm now up to 12 times I see joy or rejoicing in Philippians. And 15 times that in the Lord or in Christ Jesus is mentioned. Paul is absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ makes a difference in this life. And that he brings joy even in the midst of the challenges and difficult circumstances we face. And he is also convinced that there is a danger. That even Christians can lose their focus on that personal relationship with Jesus and get caught up in practicing merely outward forms of religion. And he sees that as such a danger that he doesn't hesitate to repeat himself to make this point strongly. 
And so in this section, he gives warning of what to look for, and he gives assurance of how to know if you're in the right group, and he gives a definition of what true Christianity looks like. First, the warning. He says, look out for the false circumcision. The terms he uses to describe those who are of the false circumcision might sound harsh to us. A lot like the name-calling that goes on in some of our politics of our day. But exposing the truth sometimes does come across as blunt or harsh. Before I try to explain false circumcision, I think we need to understand how this Jewish Old Testament practice of circumcision came about and what God's intention was by it. When God called Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a place that he was going to give him, God had in mind to set apart a people for himself who would live in a personal relationship with him. And so he had Abraham and his male servants and descendants physically circumcised as a personal mark then on each of them individually of God's seal on them, God's covenant people. And ever after that, then, Jewish males were circumcised on the eighth day of their life as a sign of God's choosing them and a covenant relationship with them. However, along the way, many Jews began to look on their circumcision and other outward practices as marking them as better than anyone else. And Jewish religious leaders then got caught up in these outward displays of religiosity, devoid of a heart relationship with God. They were caught up then really in their own self-righteousness. And Paul points out in this text that they have then developed a false religion. And so he says to the Philippians, look out for the dogs. Now you've all seen beware of dog signs. Years ago, I delivered newspapers early in the morning for a little extra income in Minot and I I was always on the alert for the neighborhood dogs that somebody had let out to do their routine thing in the morning. And sometimes it was the little yappers that were the most ferocious. And I would keep a rolled up newspaper in my hand as a weapon if needed. Well, in Paul's day, dogs ran wild in the streets, looking for the sick and the dying and the dead and would literally eat on them. Dogs were despised creatures, not family pets that pretended to be ferocious. And Jews sometimes called the Gentiles dogs. And here Paul turns the tables then on those who claim to be Jews, who, who claim to be God's people, but actually weren't. People who would, <coughs> excuse me, like dogs, prowl around in Christian congregations, looking for someone they could isolate and, and pull away from the Christian faith. And Paul says, look out for the dogs. He also says, look out for the evildoers or, or the evil workers. That is those who would teach salvation by good works, earning your salvation through your own self-efforts, through outward displays of religiosity. Such people might look good on the outside. But Paul sees anything that would take away from the true gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone as evil. And so he calls them the evil doers or the evil workers. And that is still true today. It is the reason that we have to reject, for instance, Mormonism or any other group that claims to be Christian but emphasizes works required 
in order to get to heaven. If they do so, they're a cult. And, and Paul also then says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These Jews that Paul warned of prided themselves in having been outwardly circumcised, but apart from heart relationship with God through Jesus Christ, circumcision was only really mutilation of the flesh. In Romans chapter 2, for instance, Paul uh, spells this out very clearly. He says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, and not by the letter. In contrast then to the false circumcision, Paul says, look to the true circumcision. And he gives this assurance then. He says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Look to us and look to those like us. And I love his summary then in, in that verse here of, of who are the true circumcision, the true people of God. And he mentions three things here. One is those that worship by the Spirit of God. When they gather with other people for worship, it's not just an outward display of religiosity. No, it's a hard experience. They worship by the Spirit of God. They, they recognize God's presence among them as they gather for worship, and, and they respond from the heart, then with thanks and praise for his goodness to them. Those who are of the true circumcision are also those who, who glory in Christ Jesus. He's the focus of their religion. He gets the credit for any of their good works because he has changed their hearts. And Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross brought them then full forgiveness of all of their sins. And now they serve God then out of a deep gratitude to him. And they can't help but praise and glorify Jesus, their Savior. Those of the true circumcision are also those who then put no confidence in the flesh. Not those who put less confidence in the flesh, but no confidence in the flesh. Matthew in his commentary says, Alongside the experience of the life-giving spirit and the truth of the atoning Son, they are aware that they totally lack any personal worth. They put no confidence in the flesh. As was mentioned earlier here today is Reformation Sunday. And we reflect back on the experience then of, of Martin Luther, who became a Catholic monk in hopes of pleasing God. But though he disciplined himself and deprived himself for God, though he went to extremes like even crawling the many steps of the great cathedral in Rome on his hands and knees, though he wept and, and he prayed night and day, he found no peace with God until he came across the scriptures that told him the just shall live by faith. And he came to the end of himself, came to the point of putting no confidence in his own flesh. And he put his trust completely in the righteousness of Christ. And at last he knew peace with God. The Apostle Paul had somewhat a similar experience. He, he worked ever so hard at doing everything right according to his understanding of the Old Testament law. And he thought he was truly righteous based on his works. Verse 4 here, he says about that, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I'm more. And as we look then at verses 4 to 6 here, we see the things that Paul used to boast in, by which, which, which he now then saw really as, as worthless. 
And all of us, too, need, need to come to that point where we will let go of these same or similar things and, let, and that old perspective then, the old perspective that we need to let go of is, is among other things, boasting in ethnic heritage. And uh, I have to say, I, I've been guilty of this sometimes in the past, and it's really kind of silly, isn't it? Since none of us have any say of, um, at all of, of uh, who we're born to or who our grandparents are or so on. You know, telling Norwegian jokes uh, can be just fine making a little fun of the Swedes and the Danes and so on in the process. But, but if we actually think or, or talk like or act like that makes us superior to all other ethnic groups, we are deluded and we are sinning. Paul was of Jewish pedigree. He, he'd been circumcised on the right day. He, he could trace his bloodline back to the tribe of Benjamin. He, he was a Hebrew and as, as much of a Hebrew as anybody Beyond that, he was educated in the law of the Hebrew schools to the point of where he had become a leader of the Pharisees. He, he knew all the nuances of the Jewish law, and he was zealous for the Jewish faith to the point of even then persecuting any Jews who deviated from their orthodoxy and who followed Jesus. And in verse 6 here, he says in about that, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And yet he gave all of that up, and we must too. And we are also to quit our boasting in our education or our zeal. No higher degrees nor any amount of hours working for any religion earn us any better standing with God at all. We need to also completely give up boasting in our own righteousness because we are so not righteous. Even the good things that we do are tainted by selfish motives. And so take a look at what Paul says in verses 7 and following there, the new perspective that he has gained here. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I might gain Christ. Paul's new perspective was to trade rubbish to gain Christ and be found in him. Rubbish. It's not a great British word. Uh, waste material, refuse, litter. Who of us wouldn't be glad to trade our garbage away for something that's valuable? Some translations paint an even more potent picture and they use the word dung or manure. Driving past the uh, Vast cattle feedlots in Nebraska last week, we at times got a whiff of that. There's nothing pretty or pleasing to the nostrils about that. That's what Paul says. He now considers all of those things that, used, that he used to boast in. They are dung, they are manure, they're rubbish. They are absolute waste material compared to what he gained when he came to know Jesus as his Savior. His identity was now found in Jesus. Jesus was who he identified with and lived for. And his new perspective gained then was not a righteousness of my own from keeping the law, but a righteousness through faith in Jesus. And his faith was, was not merely then a belief in an object or even belief then in a person of past history, 
But no, what Paul found was that Jesus Christ was more than a person of history. Though Jesus had definitely died at some point in history, he was now truly alive. He had risen from the dead and through the Holy Spirit could be known personally. And his new perspective gained then involved knowing Christ personally and the power of his resurrection in this life. And thus Paul experienced this total life turnaround. How about you? In what is your confidence today? Is it in your own self and your abilities, your achievements? Or is it in a person outside of yourself? Is it in the sinless Son of God who died for you? Do you know him personally as your Lord and Savior and worship him from your heart? Do you realize the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to transform your life? On the way down to Texas, I got to drive my son's Jeep by myself. When you drive by yourself, you can listen to whatever you want to. (laughs) And so I listened to country gospel CDs for hours. There was a couple of CDs that had the same song uh, by Larry Gatlin. Um, maybe some of you have heard this one, Heartbreak Ridge and New Hope Road. I'm going to just share a few words of it. It was on a wide spot out in the country, away from the lights of the city, where an old-time preacher pitched a ragged old tent. like It, was, it looked like it was 100 years old. He started out preaching to no one, but pretty soon a crowd started gathering, and he preached the gospel at the corner of Heartbreak Ridge and New Hope Road. He goes on, I won't share all the words, but he goes on to talk of his own life and how he had gone off to do wild things and and it was coming back to to bite him, you might say, as as life went on. And he stumbled into that meeting that day and he heard the gospel at the corner of Heartbreak Ridge in New Hope Road. And he said, when they sang, Come ye sinners, lost and hopeless. Lord, I was hopeless, heaven knows. And something got a hold of me Something got a hold, hallelujah, when I heard the gospel at the corner of Heartbreak Ridge and New Hope Road. Next verse goes on to tell us the rest of the story. The old man died, and guess who took over with the old tent there at that corner? And they're still singing that song and still preaching the gospel and singing, Come ye sinners, lost and hopeless. That's the same gospel that the Apostle Paul preached 2,000 years ago. A gospel for sinners that have come to the end of themselves and have put their trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and now find their identity in him. And it doesn't matter if you are one who has been full of yourself or down on yourself. You need to come to that point where you realize that you're a hopeless sinner and that Jesus is your only hope and that he says to you, Come ye sinners, lost and hopeless, I died that you might have life here on this earth, new life, and also eternal life in heaven someday. And that brings us to this one other thing in this text here that I see, verses 10 and 11 there, he says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. One new perspective gained is that of sharing in Christ's sufferings and ultimately then attaining with him the resurrection from the dead in eternity. And when Christians suffer for Christ, it is a temporary 
privilege. That's the way Paul sees it here. Christians look ahead to someday our own death, but they look beyond that confidently to the resurrection and to eternity with Jesus. And so I ask you in conclusion here, what, what was your conclusion? Are you in the right group? The group that will attain the resurrection from the dead and eternal life in heaven someday. You are, if you've given up on your own good works to get you there, and you're trusting instead in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and worshiping him and waiting for his return. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your word that so clearly today reminds us that we cannot do anything to earn our salvation. We think of the example of Paul and, and all the things he pursued, thinking that was the way, and him coming to the conclusion that no, he was still a sinner that was in desperate need of a savior. And he came to know Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you'd help us, Lord, as we live our lives, that we would recognize what it means to be in the true group that knows a relationship with you. That it's not about just outward practices, but it's a heart response of recognizing our sin and our need for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that the gospel so clearly spells out that there is full forgiveness for all of us. And there is power to change. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is, is uh, available to change our lives here on this earth. And also one day to resurrect our bodies even from the grave. And we thank you for that. Lord, help us that we would live boldly then, sharing that message. That others too would, would uh, join that group. That know you and walk with you and are ready for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.